Um, so I want to just preface this by saying that I, uh, there's an old joke. The rabbi says, I'm sorry my sermon is so long, I didn't have time to make it short. Uh, I actually began working on this sermon about a week ago when I finished the last one and decided that I would try to tackle the question of how to make uh, ethical distribution of vaccines according to Jewish law. Uh, and it was a, uh, a, 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 an incredibly challenging topic to try to whittle down and present with you. Uh, I found myself fascinated and, and, and far out, uh, uh, outnumbered or outgunned in uh, trying to make sense of the, the, the complex ethical questions that are out there. Jewish tradition speaks with you know, a very clear voice, as I'm about to share with you on, on many of them, but there are so many more questions that require um, a, a nuanced interpretation of Jewish law um, that frankly, I only wish I had, uh, but I learned a great deal from teachers uh, in the process though I'm not sure I've learned it all. Uh, of course, we never have. Uh, so with that as a preface, um, I am sorry the sermon is a bit long. It's almost a high holiday sermon. It could be one, uh, but it's not quite that long. But I'm making it longer until I jump in, so I'll do that now. Um, there is a, a well-known and often debated story in the Talmud about two men who are stranded in a desert with only enough water to save the life of one of them. The Talmud observes that if they both drink the from the water, that they will both surely die. So too, if neither drink from the water, they will die. But if only one drinks the water, that person will live. The situation is further complicated by the fact that, that we are commanded to preserve human life, including our own at nearly all costs. We are not allowed to take another person's life to save our own life if that person is not actively trying to kill us. There are two other exemptions, but they're not really relevant to this scenario. So in this terrible but not unimaginable scenario, who drinks the water? Whose life is saved? The answer from our tradition is brutal, but it's also straightforward. The person who is holding the water, it belongs to that person, and therefore it is required that they drink it to save their own life. The rabbis propose all sorts of potential exemptions that would allow the one holding the water to give it to the other and thereby save the other person's life. And yes, there are ethical calisthenics that we could do to make giving the water to the other and sacrificing our own life kosher. But at the end of the day, the intent of the mitzvah, of the commandment in Talmud here is clear. If you are holding the water and can only save one person, you who are holding the water are obligated to save yourself by drinking the water. As hard as that is, the question is fairly simple in the eyes of Jewish law. When you have limited supply of a life-saving substance that you yourself need, and you are in possession of it, you are to use it for yourself. The question, though, is much more complex if there is a limited public supply of a life-saving substance, one that you don't own. And in our instance, a COVID-19 vaccine, which meets that criteria, and you are tasked with determining who gets the vaccine first. It is this more complex scenario that we are blessed to find ourselves in as we finally escape the dark tunnel of 2020 and head toward the light at the end of the tunnel that is 2021, or at least it purports and represents to be. It's both an interesting thought experiment and of course a real world dilemma being considered by politicians, public health experts, medical ethicists, and truthfully, every human being on the planet. As with the early Talmudic example, Judaism has considered the question, if not directly, then by analogy, for hundreds of years. 
So I want to take some time this morning to follow up on my sermon from last Shabbat on the question, are Jews obligated to get the COVID-19 vaccine? The answer is yes, by the way, and it can be mandated according to Jewish law. This morning, let's study the Jewish view on how to equitably distribute a vaccine that is in short supply. First, reading from the text of Canada's COVID-19 immunization plan, Saving Lives and Livelihoods, we read that the goal of Canada's COVID-19 immunization response is to enable as many Canadians as possible to be immunized as quickly as possible against COVID-19, while ensuring that high-risk populations are prioritized. The plan further explains that by high-risk populations, it means specifically the elderly residents and staff who, of, um, of congregate living arrangements, such as long-term care facilities and frontline healthcare workers and those in living or working conditions which with elevated risk for infection or disproportionate consequences, including indigenous communities. All of that is in a very lengthy report. These are largely the people that we are seeing vaccinated in Canada today. And we see in the weeks and we'll see in the weeks and months ahead as the vaccine production ramps up. From both a purely ethical and utilitarian perspective, you vaccinate the most vulnerable first the elderly in nursing homes and those who are caring for them. And most people seem to agree with this reasoning and have accepted it. But the challenge of who gets the vaccine next is the much harder question than who gets the vaccine first. As a former United States um, Federal Drug Administration, FDA administrator framed it, if your goal is to maximize the preservation of human life, then you would bias the vaccine towards older Americans. If your goal is to reduce the rate of infection, then you would prioritize essential workers. So it depends on what impact you are trying to achieve. And of course, if you decide to prioritize essential workers, you're hardly out of the woods. The Canadian government stated that essential workers are, quote, those who are critical to preserving life, health, and basic societal functioning, unquote. Officially, the Canadian Essential Services and Functions Plan for Canadian, Canada's for Canada, for Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic, a long title, classifies crucial infrastructure or essential workers in Canada according to 10 sectors, energy and utility, information and communication, finance, health, food, water, transportation, safety, government, manufacturing. Workers in those sectors alone make up perhaps as much as 15 million people a number that swamps the available, available initial supply of the vaccine. And we haven't begun to address the question of priorities within the essential workers category. Who is more essential than whom? Do frontline workers, those whose jobs involve the greater risk of direct contact with the public take precedence? What about school teachers, especially those who teach remotely? You might've noticed that education was not on the list provided by the federal government, and they certainly are essential in that they relieve parents of childcare duties, but they don't face as much health risk as other workers, perhaps. If you add educators, that list grows by another 1 million people to almost 50% of the Canadian population, all needing to be vaccinated first, or second at least. And what about groups within the population that are economically disadvantaged or are the targets of discrimination? A strong argument can be made that essential workers are not there or not, essential workers or not, their members suffer disproportionately from the pandemic 
and should therefore enjoy a higher priority than others. Perhaps they are closer to the most frail category and should be slotted in after frontline healthcare workers, but before essential workers. A report of the Hastings Center, an independent nonpartisan bioethics research institute and a think tank, which is based in New York, argues, quoting, ethical, epidemiological, and economic reasons demand that rationing approaches give priority to groups who have been structurally and historically disadvantaged, even if this means that overall life's years, life years gained may be lower. Does halakha Jewish law have any guidance to offer on these difficult questions and choices? In a recently published responsa or Jewish legal finding of the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha, they took up this very question and it was so helpful in my trying to teach it and understand it and share it now with you. I wanna walk you through some of their answers. To be clear, no ethical tradition, even Judaism, can entirely relieve us of the responsibility to make decisions between competing goods. But Halakha does approach this issue on the basis of some broad principles that if applied fairly can help clarify the ethical confusion that confounds us. The Freehoff Institute found that Jewish law can be interpreted to support one of three different criteria for medical resource allocation. The first is that of the equality of all human life. If every nefesh, if every soul is of equal value in the eyes of God and Torah, then we are forbidden to make distinctions as to which lives are more worthy of saving than others. And while this criterion is morally unimpeachable, are we not all created in the Tzelem Elohim and the divine image, it would deny communities the discretion to make thoughtful medical decisions leading to a waste of resources and would ultimately lead to more rather than fewer deaths. So just saying everybody's creating God's image, therefore every life is worth saving is not entirely the Jewish guiding principle here. The second criterion is that of social value. Medical resources would then be allocated in such a way as to improve society. The goal is to act not only to save individuals, but to save or benefit the right individuals those who will contribute to the most, the most to the general welfare. The obvious problem with this criterion is that the definition of general welfare, what justice or equity or utility demands in any particular instance, is invariably a matter of controversy. No matter which version of social benefit we favor, we will inevitably end up discriminating against some individuals or groups. What then becomes of our commitment to human equality? So this second version is actually set aside in the view of Jewish law is not providing the kind of guidance that we need for this particular decision. Though we don't dismiss its values entirely, it doesn't guide us in making that choice. The third and final criterion is that of medical efficacy. The practice of medicine, in Hebrew refuah, is an element of the mitzvah to preserve and protect human life, pikuach nefesh. It follows that we should structure then the practice of medicine in such a way as to make it more effective to save more rather than fewer lives. This is the principle behind medical triage, and it is, I think, the best justification for discriminating among individuals. That is, if all lives are of equal worth, that's principle number one, then the only acceptable variant for denying or delaying medical treatment is not social value, but for some or for many of them, it is a purely medical one. The goal then of pikuach nefesh 
is better served if we prioritize treatment for those who need it the most, as opposed to those who can wait, or for those whom we are more certain that we can save, as opposed to those who are more likely to die, even if they receive the treatment. And this, by the way, as an aside, gets into a whole classification and question about length of life and quality of life, which I'm not dealing with here, because truthfully, it's a whole other sermon. The Freehoff Institute concluded that the best interpretation of the Jewish tradition on these issues is actually to combine criteria number three and criteria number one. The rationing of life-saving resources should be based on as much as possible upon strictly medical criteria, while at the same time, we should never lose sight of the fundamental Jewish comment and commitment to the preciousness of every human being and every human life. So then, how do these principles apply to the distribution of COVID vaccines? Who then shall go first? Or in this case, I guess, second. Should priority be given to those who face the greatest risk of death, older persons, those with underlying medical conditions and the like, or should the emphasis be placed upon those essential workers so as to limit the spread of the disease? And what about considerations of racial and social justice? Groups within the population that are economically disadvantaged or are the targets of discrimination, they can make a strong argument that their members suffer disproportionately from the pandemic and should therefore enjoy a higher priority than others, that they wouldn't get the vaccine if we didn't prioritize them or wouldn't get it soon enough. To this last point, about those economically disadvantaged or targets of discrimination, it is, I think, a laudable position, but it actually runs counter to the message of Jewish tradition. Medicine's raison d'etre is first and foremost to save lives. Allocation decisions must be justified by that rubric, as opposed to other criteria, however worthy those may be. And so, the Freehoff Institute argued that in determining who gets the vaccine and when, Communities must practice medicine, not social reform. None of that is to say that considerations of race or economic class are irrelevant to this discussion. And this is where it gets complex. Sadly, if it wasn't complex already, they figure prominently in matters of public health. And those of us who call ourselves liberals or progressives would hardly think otherwise. But these demographic realities ought to figure in allocation decisions only to the extent that they are medically significant. So for example, an identified racial or class group may be particularly vulnerable to COVID due to any number of factors, nature of employment, need to use public transportation, lack of adequate health care, dense living conditions, making it impossible to socially distance and on and on. Members of that group, along with their families, should receive a correspondingly higher priority for vaccination, not specifically because of their racial or class identity, and not out of an otherwise laudable desire to rectify past discrimination, but simply because the data shows that they are relatively more vulnerable to contracting to the, the disease. Therefore, they are more at risk and should be prioritized for treatment first. By contrast, members of a more advantaged racial or class group may justifiably be ranked lower on the priority scale precisely because they can socially distance and because their work does not expose them to comparatively high risk of contracting the vaccine. The point is, is that medical decisions ought to be based as much as possible upon strictly medical criteria, or at the very least, criteria that can be reasonably defended on legitimate medical grounds. And so, in conclusion, 
No thoughtful person would claim that the practice of medicine exists in a vacuum, in splendid isolation from the social and economic realities in which we live. But in a situation of scarcity, when we have to make agonizing, potentially life and death decisions of resource allocation, like the two men with the, with the, the thermos of water, we tread upon sketchy and shaky ground when we base those decisions on inherently controversial measures of comparative social worth. When the Torah, as read by the rabbis, establishes for us a duty to rescue those who are in danger, as it does in Leviticus 19, when we are commanded not to stand idly by the blood of our neighbor, it does not condition that obligation upon the endangered person's social or financial status, nor does it try to calculate the relative age or life still ahead of them of the people who are in equal peril. The only factor that counts is that she or he is a fellow human being in need of our help, whose life is in peril. And so, the greatest mitzvah, the one that outweighs all the others, is to save human life. It is to that end, to save lives, and indeed as many lives as we can, that Jewish ethics therefore argue that we should allocate the coronavirus vaccine to save the most lives possible. The sequencing or triage of the distribution of the vaccine should be governed by those most at risk or those most essential to enabling us to continue to save lives and should work backwards from there. And that is a brief overview, not so brief, of the Jewish ethics of vaccine distribution in a pandemic. Shabbat Shalom. Yes, that was enormous.